You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. My lifetime, we're going to look back and say, remember when we used to feed our dogs those little brown pellets? Oh my God, what were we thinking? That was Sean Buckley. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. I hope everyone is staying inside and boosting their immune system, trying to stay as healthy as they can mentally and physically. Many of my conversations that you're going to be listening to this month were recorded pre-COVID-19, but I'm checking back in with guests as we go to see if they would like to add anything new to the podcast relevant to what's happening in our health and economic climate. On another note, I have completely switched gears and I'm now interviewing guests via phone. This goes against everything I believe when it comes to podcasting and audio sound quality, but I am looking at it as an opportunity to connect with more guests and bring you great topics and stories from people that perhaps I wouldn't normally be talking to. So with that said, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Marnie and the Move podcast sponsors, Mad Ritual CBD Balm. I use this CBD balm every day for aches and pains from training and life. Mad Ritual is offering Marnie on the Move listeners 15% off with the code Marnie on the Move. Head over to their website, madritual.com, and start shopping. More about Mad Ritual later. When today's guest, Sean Buckley, went to his local pet store to pick up his dog's favorite chicken kibble, only to find it was sold out, he opted for the lamb kibble instead. Upon checkout, he noticed they were the same price, which he thought was odd. One would think lamb is more expensive, right? And as he looked at the ingredients and did more research, he was shocked when he discovered and learned what he was actually feeding his dog. And so it began, Just Food for Dogs. Sean Buckley is the founder of Just Food for Dogs, the dog and cat food brand that has disrupted the $30.5 billion pet food industry. They are the first pet food brand to create fresh food for pets from human-grade, USDA, human-certified ingredients in open-to-the-public kitchens and the only brand on the market proven healthy by multiple independent university studies. Just Food for Dogs has a team of in-house veterinarians and nutritionists that formulate the meals utilizing only fresh, whole food ingredients, USDA, FDA certified for human consumption, and recipes nutritionally balanced for dogs as well as cats. When they launched in 2010, they started a movement that continues to grow today. The company now serves more than 50 million fresh meals annually. Today, Just Food for Dogs has nine of its signature kitchens open to the public in California, New York, and Washington, with another under construction in Chicago, as well as more than 200 of its unique pantries. In July 2018, Petco approached Just Food for Dogs and signed a deal to build kitchens and pantries inside hundreds of Petco stores nationwide, along with offering the company's products on the Petco website. Just Food for Dogs offers a variety of six daily meals, one rotating seasonal special, DIY do-it-yourself recipes and nutrient blends for daily meals, one cat daily meal, eight veterinary support diets available with prescription, snacks and treats, supplements, and custom diet formulating. Our dogs, Charlie and Thor, are huge fans of Just Food for Dogs. It has made our lives of feeding our dogs fresh food a lot easier than standing in the kitchen and making it every day. On this episode, I sync up with Sean about where it all began. 
the inspiration for the company, how he built a team of incredible veterinarians, including Chief Medical Officer Dr. Oscar Chavez and top CEO, Carrie Tischler. We talk about the workouts that fuel Sean for success and the future of Just Food for Dogs. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on Apple. It's easy. Scroll through the episodes on your device and app. Click on the five stars and hit write a review. Tell us what you love. Also, feel free to screenshot the episodes as you're listening, tag us, Marnie on the Move, and share on your Instagram stories or Facebook. Also, sign up for our email newsletter, The Download, for updates and offers. Now, on to the show. And of course, before we get started, today's episode is fueled by Mad Ritual CBD. Mad Ritual CBD has changed my recovery game in a really big way. Get ready to recover like a rebel with these awesome, high-quality, CBD-infused products. Their CBD balm is off-the-charts amazing. And I'm not the only one that thinks so. Mad Ritual has 100-plus five-star reviews. The balms have five simple organic ingredients, coconut oil, shea butter, olive oil, plant wax, CBD, and different blends of essential oils. Personally, I prefer the eucalyptus and peppermint. They also offer a terrific CBD-infused total recovery supplement. Not just for athletes, the products are formulated to ease all of the aches and pains that come along with being an active human. So, if you are sore from life, Mad Ritual gets it. Founded by women athletes and active entrepreneurs, they are committed to helping active folks bring more balance to their lives. Mad Ritual is offering Marnie on the Move listeners 15% off. Head over to their website, madritual.com, and use the code Marnie on the Move. Now, on to the episode. So, yeah, so I'm really psyched to have you on the call today. Thank you for joining me. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Tell me a little bit about Just Food for Dogs, just to kind of dial my listeners into the amazing company that you've created and share maybe where the inspiration and idea for the company began. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, and thanks for having me. It's interesting because we began the way I think a lot of small businesses start, which is not necessarily as a business. I got my first dog when you know I was in my late 30s. I never had a dog as a kid, and I didn't know anything about them. His name was Simon, and he's the one that graces the packages of all of our food and our signs on our kitchens and so on. And he was an amazing dog, you know, and I loved him. And long story short, I was buying him a premium kibble brand, and I was purchasing it at a local Petco in Newport Beach, California. And I went in one day and they they didn't have the you know lamb meal and rice that I got him. And so they were just out. And that was the purple bag, I remember. And so instead, I got the green bag, which was chicken. I remember paying for it and noticing that it cost the same as the lamb. And that didn't make a lot of sense to me. I didn't really care. But it didn't make a lot of sense. Like, I don't eat meat, but I'm pretty sure if you go to the butcher and you buy chicken and then you buy some lamb, you're going to pay more for the lamb than you do for the chicken. So why didn't that translate? And I was curious about it and I started looking into it. And when I started looking into it, I learned what is allowed to go into pet food. And when I learned what is allowed to go into pet food, I instantly stopped feeding that to my dog, later my dogs, because I, I added one. Her name was Nala, a big German shepherd, rescue, both rescues. Cute. So, yeah, so that's kind of, you know, discovering what was allowed to go into pet food and allowed to be in pet food scared me enough to say, I can't feed my dogs that. I'm just going to make their food. And myself and Andrea, my girlfriend, then and now, that was a long time ago, you know, we just started making their food. Yeah, I mean, I've been making yeah. food for my dogs for years, and it, it takes a lot. It's a lot of work, but you love them, so you want to make sure they're eating healthy. And then when I discovered Just Food for Dogs through two of my veterinarians and friends that highly recommended that I switch to Just Food for Dogs because everything was prepackaged and made fresh with whole food ingredients, and it definitely piqued my interest. So I went over to your open kitchen in Union Square, which is so game-changing and very cool, and started 
buying them one of the delicious recipes that they literally remind me I need to feed them four times a day (laughs) or three times a day, but they try for four. But yeah, they love it. I mean, so it's really game changing. I mean, the way you're disrupting the dog food space. Talk to me a little bit more about, you know, I know we were just, you were just saying that, you know, you started making food for your dogs and I make food for my dogs. And I have a lot of friends that cook for their dogs and, you know, we're all busy entrepreneurs, right? But we make time to make sure our dogs are healthy and you guys just made it so much easier. So tell me a little bit more about that, how it works and what are some of the recipes? So I'll start with, you know, back to that discovery, you know, the, you know, which led us to making the food. And by the way, we were making it wrong uh, to begin with, but that's just how things start. You <laughs> right. Know? You have to start. Uh, and you, and, yeah. And, and, and all of us, you know, your friends and you and, and me in the beginning, we're, we're all making it wrong, to be honest, because dogs can't really get all the nutrition they need from food alone. They'd have to eat like their own body weight and food every day. So it turns out you've got to supplement their food because they need way more of things like, you know, calcium pyrophosphate or selenium and, you know, magnesium, many different different volumes than we do. It's It's not the same. And since they largely eat the same thing every day and we have a really mixed diet, they'll get nutritionally out of balance. It'll take a couple of months, um, you know, but they will. So now what, you know, we do is we supplement all of our diets so that they can be fed for long-term feeding. And they've gone through feeding trials and, and which very few uh, food, very few uh, pet foods go through feeding trials, by the way, less right. than six, I think, right. uh, in the whole country out of hundreds of brands. Um so, you know, the best thing that you can do is really, and I tell people this all the time, is don't buy don't buy your pet food from anybody, including us. I mean, I'd love it if you buy our pet food. That's great. But you don't need to. Right. What you need is you need a company that's willing to give away its intellectual property. And uh, there's been precisely one that I know of uh, in the history of pet food, and that's us. Right. And you make the food at home and you don't make dinner every night for your dog. You know, people tell me this all the time. I don't have time to make food for myself. You just make it once a month and put it in Ziploc bags, the size of their meal or their day. And you put it in the freezer. Right. Like meal and prepping. If people, yeah, exactly. And you make it once a month. Now, if you have two great Danes and, you know, you may not have a big enough freezer, you know, you might have to make Especially it Especially in New but... York City. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. So, you know, it's. The stuff that is allowed to be in the food was iconic and alarming, and and it's the thing that shocks you into doing something different. So poultry feces, for example, we're allowed to put poultry feces in the food as long as we dehydrate it to a moisture content not in excess of 15%. That's a quote. That comes out of, it used to be on page 357 of the AFCO guide, the American right. Association of Feed Control Officials. And all kinds of uh, chemicals that are allowed to go in, empty peanut shells, empty almond shells. For example, empty peanut shells, they're not going to kill your dog, but there's no nutritional value. And um, That's disgusting and and horrifying. Well, not only that, uh, you know, as an industry and as technically a licensed pet food processor, which is what we are, I can put... We never would, but I could put empty peanut shells ground up into your pet food and I can call it vegetable fiber. I don't even call it empty peanut shells, so you don't even know what it is. You're just seeing vegetable fiber on the the label. That's crazy. Our permission, if you will, to mislead you, the public, in my opinion, is worse than any industry with which I've ever been involved. It's staggering. And this isn't your first company. I mean, you're a serial entrepreneur who have launched many companies. So for you to say that, it's it's pretty huge. Oh, yeah. The regulations around things that I've been involved with in the past, for example, food for humans, are extremely strict. Extremely. So even a picture on a... Uh, on a label of food. If you go into a store to buy food for you or your family and there's a picture of grilled chicken, a grilled chicken breast on the cover of some label of something. Right. 
do you know that you know that even if that chicken breast is exactly the same as the kind I use in the product that's in the package, if it's steamed instead of grilled, they're going to make me change that label. Yeah, there are lots of regulations around human food. There's a huge movement around the globe of people examining what's going into the food they're eating and the products they use. So it only makes sense that this should be happening in the pet food industry as well. There is a movement. And the movement starts with us as Americans, you know, because I only really know the American market, but us as Americans seeing and viewing our pets as family as opposed to an animal companion. And this has proven itself out in a large nationwide survey that the ASPCA does on a regular but infrequent basis every several years. I'm not sure how often they do it where they'll ask this question and there's three boxes you can check. And just in the last few years, it, it's turned the tide. Uh, believe it or not, people like you and me, we see, we've seen our, our pets as our family for maybe, you know, decades. Yeah. But as a country, it's only, it's only become the number one way to view your uh, pets over the last few years. And so what comes with that is then the way we treat them right. and feeding them, of course, unbiased, but I would argue is far more important than any other thing that you can do for them. Well, it sets the um, tone for their life, their health, for everything. Exactly. It turns out that, you know, dogs and cats are not the only animals in the animal kingdom. Right. Out of all the animals in the animal kingdom that should eat a little brown pellet. You know, if we think about, like, why are we feeding them little dried pellets? Uh, there's no natural moisture content, so it's actually worse for cats than it is for dogs because they have an issue with water intake. And the reason dates back to <laughs> the, the U.S. needing, for perfectly good reasons related to the war, to ration metal, and it became unacceptable for pet food companies to can at that time, they didn't have dry food to can pet food. So they had to come up with another way. And Purina, which is Nestle, they invented what's called the extruder and a machine that can make the little brown pellets. And, uh, that, you know, there's a lot of depth there to that. I won't yes. bore you and your, uh, and your audience with it. But that's where dry food came from. And a lot of people back then saw that as temporary. Right. Like, like many, like many taxes <laughs> were supposed to be temporary. <laughs> right. Kibble was kind of like a fix for a temporary thing. And then they, they would go back to canning. But, you know, once you start building these machines and once you have that profitability as a large corporation, now many multinational corporations, it's very difficult to stop a multi-billion dollar business, which is what dog and cat food is in the United States, about 30 billion, 30 and a half billion dollars a year right now with very few people owning the majority of it, Nestle and Mars, Eminem Mars right. uh, at the top, and then Smuckers uh, and Colgate Palmolive uh, are some of the, those are four of the biggest. For dog and, food? Um, yes. Wow. I didn't know yeah. that. That's really interesting. Yeah. The largest pet food company in the United States is Eminem Mars. Okay. Nestle is second. And then I believe Colgate Palmolive. And then I believe after that is um, Smuckers. Wow. And then, of course, General, General Mills uh, as well. So as you and I, as you've just alluded to, you and I and the rest of our co-Americans consume far less highly processed extruded food or cereals in the morning for breakfast. Like, you know, when I was a kid, right. you know, in the 70s, totally. you know, everybody ate Cheerios, you yep. know, uh, you know, these factories have to do something. These these large, you know, supply chains have to do something with all of that that equipment. Yeah, it's it's you not know? even a question and, of like the dog food; it's a question of economic development. Correct. Yeah. Interesting. And I'm not trying to beat up on any particular companies, but no. But I think it's important to educate people about sort of like what the landscape has been for the past few decades and why you know you're disrupting the space and just to kind of give people a background. I don't think I don't I never knew that. I'm sure a lot of my listeners did not know that. So it's super informative. You know, dogs should essentially eat 
the same highly bioavailable fresh whole foods that we eat largely, but it needs to be nutritionally balanced for them. Right. And it needs to be, of course, absent of anything that would be toxic to their systems. Right. Everybody knows about chocolate, but not everybody knows about macadamia nuts. Right. Not everybody knows about you know, onions and, you know, some of the raisins and some of the thing, grapes that uh, can be toxic to dogs that, you know, are perfectly good for us, but don't work for them. Um, You know, speaking of dog food and the pellets and the hard food versus the whole food and the real food, I have always been curious about, you know, how do you keep your dog's teeth healthy? And does having them eat these hard foods Uh, help to keep the plaque and tartar off their teeth? Or is it the same as, say, the way we, you know, I mean, you know, we brush our teeth a few times a day. You know, I've heard that giving your dogs hard food helps them get the plaque off their teeth. I've heard mixed things about giving your dog bones versus not giving your dog bones. So I really am trying to find a solution so that my dog's teeth are healthy and so his gums are healthy And I don't need to have all of his teeth removed when he's 10 years old, which recently happened to me. How do you keep your dog's teeth healthy? It's a fantastic question around what do we do to keep our dog's teeth healthy? Because I think you'd be hard pressed in this day and age to find a vet that still believes that eating a crunchy food is somehow going to knock the plaque off the side of your dog's teeth. So one of our veterinarians at Just Food for Dogs, we we have 12 vets on our staff now. Um, he's board certified in, in veterinary toxicology. And he gave me a great example, you know, some time ago, which is, you know, crunchy food is going to knock the plaque off the side of your te- dog's teeth about as well as you eating a handful of almonds every day. Okay. It just doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. As our dogs live more like a family member, the answer is to brush your dog's teeth. Now, you probably don't have to brush them as often as we brush our own, right. but that is the best way um, to to keep uh, tartar off their teeth. The other way to do it is, uh, you know, just to be eating a healthier food to begin with. Right. So ironically, uh, and I do not have any, any proof of this, uh, just anecdotally, I believe that eating a soft, real food diet, and not, it's not because it's soft, but a real whole food diet, will actually build less tartar to begin with. The short answer is, you know, the best possible diet you can give them. Right. It doesn't matter if you make it or we make it. really doesn't matter. They don't know the difference. And to brush, brush their teeth. Yeah. I mean, that makes total sense. I think that, you know, that's what I've been doing for the last few years. I've, you know, and yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, you know, some dogs don't like their teeth brushed. And I just wonder how, you know, sometimes I see people whose dogs have like great teeth and they've never brushed them and they eat whatever. But yeah, that's not my luck. So, <laughs> but it's like people, right? Like you have to, you know, everybody's teeth are different and your health is different and it really does go back to your diet. So yeah, it's true. I mean, there's, there's, there is their own DNA and makeup, and, you know, uh, and we get what we get. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right? You know, yes. We all have a, we all have a friend who, you know, eats pizza and drinks beer and yet she's, you know, 105 pounds. Right. Exactly. Uh, that was me like 10 years ago. <laughs> and now I'm like, holy God, I've got to get to the gym. <laughs> this isn't working for me anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Totally so you. you're bringing up a good point. Age yeah. also has something to do with yes. it. That is also the same for our dogs. But to the question around bones, most vets will say, don't let your dog chew on a bone because right. it's it's just not good for their teeth. It causes cracked teeth, which yeah. then you get into deeper you know, dental issues. Yeah. So just food for dogs. You know, you have a lot of different recipes that you offer and you also have supplements and treats and all kinds of stuff. Tell me a little bit about your products and the different recipes that you offer. Yeah. So we, what we do is really unique. Obviously everything we make, and this goes for the supplementation as well. And that's a key factor. It's less sexy, if you will, because it doesn't, it doesn't have a kitchen and all of that, but the, the nutritional supplementation that goes into the food is also human grade. So everything we make is USDA, FDA certified for human consumption, but it's nutritionally balanced for dogs. 
So you'll find recipes like, you know, ground venison and squash and the recipes will have, you know, Brussels sprouts like that one or carrots and, uh, you know, breast of potatoes, sweet potatoes, chicken thigh, chicken breast. All of it is food that we can eat. It's just very bland. So you can taste it if you want. And what, what we do is we nutritionally balance it. We have a chief medical officer who's been with me since probably six or 10 months after I started the business. He's um, now runs the vet department. His name's Dr. Chavez. And he was a professor in clinical canine nutrition. And I found him running, a, uh, running the animal health sciences department at a major university in California and recruited him. And he's been with us ever since. So he oversees all of the creation of our food, whether that's a treat or a food. And you also have special food for dogs that are on like, you know, veterinarian diets or have certain health issues, right? Yes. So we make a a whole line of daily diets for healthy dogs. Right. And then we have a line of vet directed diets, sometimes called prescription diets. Right. And uh, for dogs with renal disease or liver disease or dogs that have diabetes, et cetera. And those do require a prescription. And then last but not least, we do custom formulations for vets all over the country uh, from blood work and also, you know, whatever uh, other uh, data that they provide for us. So they might have, you know, a dog with multiple diseases and they'll provide all the blood work to our vets, our team of vets, and we'll customize something for them. And it's truly customized, not just the ingredients. I've seen everything from, you know, ostrich and scrambled eggs and cottage cheese with carrots, right? you know, uh, to some radical diets that only have, you know, two ingredients and a lot of supplementation, et cetera, depending on the disease that that dog has. And what we do is we can do one of two things. We either provide the, the recipe and we do all of the nutraceutical compounding or even pharmaceutical compounding on our own and provide that and then people make it at home or we can actually make the food complete and that comes to them in you know 30 days worth of food packaged individually for each day for a given dog so that's sort of the generally for dogs that are sick the way you've started your company is super interesting as well from a business perspective by marketing to veterinarians and building your database tell me a little bit about the veterinarians that are involved with your brand that are on your advisory board and that are recommending your product because it's it's super impressive yeah the number of veterinarians that recommend our product we don't actually know the number we're very confident it's over a thousand veterinarians nationwide Um, The ones that are on our staff are very uh, specifically selected. So we have one that's board certified in dermatology. As you can imagine, nutrition has a very close connection to, you know, those that are uh, suffering from different kind of dermatological issues. We have uh, two board certified uh, veterinarians in nutrition, which that shouldn't surprise anybody. Right. We have one that's board certified in toxicology, veterinary toxicology. These are very rare individuals, to say the least. The number of board certified veterinary toxicologists in the United States is 72. So more Americans have actually gone to space than there are board certified veterinary toxicologists. We're very fortunate to have uh, Dr. John Texas, uh, you know, as one of our staff veterinarians because he's also a professor in um in toxicology so he's a brilliant guy and he oversees a lot of the things that you would imagine like you know how do you know what do we include and what do we not include and what is the chain of custody uh of ingredients and so on so he has a hand in in all of those kinds of things um so you know then we have what we call gp general practice vets Um, And they do everything from educate other vets to educate our staff. That's a big part of our, our job when some, when, when, you know, of our organization, rather when somebody gets a job with us and they're going to work in one of our kitchens or one of our pantries of which there are now over 200 nationwide, they come to California and they go through a three or four day uh, session. I think it's three and a half days actually. Um, you know, with our vets and they get a deep, you know, education. So 
I'm not picking on any of the other like uh, pet stores, but sometimes right. when I go into a pet store, if I'm lucky, somebody can tell me where the fish is, the fish food is, and somebody can tell me where the cat food is. Right. And that's about it. You know, aisle 12. Our folks are a lot more educated than that, which is right. why we've designed uh, the company model to be as unique as the food itself. So we are a direct consumer brand, which right. is a bit of a misnomer in our case, because that typically means that we do everything kind of in hiding and then we send it in a box to your house. Right. Uh, we're not like that at all. Uh, we're direct to consumer in a different way. So if you go to a Petco where there's a Just Food for Dogs pantry, you'll find a 10 by 15 foot space that's dedicated to Just Food for Dogs. It's, you know, our equipment. It's our, you know, only our food is sold there. And the most important thing is that there's a nutrition consultant there right. wearing a black and white shirt that says Just Food for Dogs on it. They are our employee. And they work directly for us. They draw their salary and their health insurance and everything else from just food for dogs. And most importantly to the customers is they've been educated by our vet team. So they're, um, they are, if you ask them where the fish food is, they may or may not know. But if you ask them about just food for dogs or just food for cats, they'll know everything that they need to know to help somebody. That is a super unique business model for the dog food industry and pet industry. It's it's really the ultimate business model for any brand that is going to be in a retail store, right? I mean, I think you want someone representing your company that knows everything about it that can really speak to your customers. Oh, absolutely. I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but our agreement there'd be no reason people would know this but our agreement with petco for example petco came to us about three years ago at two and a half years ago they came to us and they they wanted to put our food in their stores and we were flattered but our right. first response was that that really just wasn't going to work because that's not how we're built right. you know and they said, no, no, listen, we have a real dedication to nutrition. We're not just talking about it. We mean it. And, uh, you know, and what would you need? And, you know, <laughs> right. you can imagine uh, that, you know, when you tell a company like that, well, look, you know, we're going to need the keys to your stores because, you know, our employees are going to need to get in there and we're going to need to have our own area. They've never done anything like that in 50 years. And then we said, listen, you know, we're going to need to have our architect come in and you know, you're going to need to go down to the city. We're going to need to tear up your store and turn it into a kitchen. You know, in the case of Union Square and, right. and now the Upper East Side on 86 and Lex, we're doing the same thing inside of a Petco. And um, so how many Petcos are you in now? We're in about 125. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. And I have to say, to their credit, I mean, after the initial shock, you know, they they loved the idea and said, you know, yeah, let's do it. In 2010, when you launched, take me back, rewind, and maybe what were some of the challenges when you started? Well, the one thing I would say that's pretty interesting is in the original plan, which was uh, finalized in April of 2010, you know, it predicted that somebody, and I predicted wrongly, but I predicted that it would be PetSmart, would come to us and want to put kitchens in their stores. The reason I picked PetSmart was because I believed at that time, they had partnership with uh, Banfield. And so I believed that they would be more inclined to have individual partnerships and be open to putting things in their stores that were not just rows of kibble. I ended up being Petco instead of PetSmart. But the same concept is true, which is that they kind of woke up and said, look, things change and we've got to change with the world. And I think that a lot of credit goes to Petco for that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and yeah, to, to, to give you one example of just how radical this is, because you've described it as a disruption more than once. And I think you're right. You know, I've had the same architect for many, many years going beyond uh, just food for dogs, before just food for dogs. And he designed this sort of, you know, dog kitchen, the world's first dog kitchen. And I'll never forget, you know, the first few kitchens we built, including the first one, we, we walked in, you go to the city. And you make an appointment and you go to what they call a city planner and then sit down with the planner and you roll out your plans and you tell them what you want to build. 
And when we did that, the first few times, they all did the same thing. They sit on the other side of the table and they say, oh, you got a restaurant. Oh, no, it's a catering kitchen. What is this? They don't know what it is. Right. There's no dining room. The kitchen's not in the back. The kitchen's in the front. You know, the parking ratio isn't, you know, for retail or for uh, a kitchen or a restaurant. So they don't know what to make of it because nobody's ever actually built one. And now we are fortunate enough to have enough of them that, you know, we just bring them plans and photographs and documentation from other cities. Right. And say, this is what we've done in Chicago and, you know, Seattle and San Diego and Los Angeles and San Francisco, et cetera. Um, but yeah, that's just how radical it is. I mean, you had a vision, but people couldn't see it. Yeah. I think that, you know, without sounding self celebratory, that's true. I think we all do at different times. Well, you as just food for dogs had a vision. We did. We, we believed that the world needed this and not to make any comparison between just food for dogs and Apple, but you know, I don't think anybody told Steve Jobs that they wanted a flat screen, you know, computer semi phone type device that could also do these other things. Nobody said we need an iPad. Right. You know, the world didn't the world didn't tell him we need an iPad and he wouldn't build it. They didn't know they needed it. We all have one now. And he just saw it before we did. And I think just food for dogs saw this first, you know, and said, look, dogs should not be eating little brown pellets. Just Food for Dogs has done a great job scaling its business. It really does take five to 10 years to build a business. And that's where consumers start to really notice what you're doing. Last year, you raised $68 million in Series C funding. So now you are growing and expanding even more. We are super thrilled with L. Catterton. You know, they are a private equity firm that we did a deal with almost exactly three years ago, where we raised about $20 million. And that was the first round and that we did with them. And when we raised money last year, in the middle of 2019, we talked to several uh, private equity firms, but L. Catterton wanted to double down on their investment. They believe in us. We believe in them. They've been super helpful to us. So, you know, I'll only say this in the in the in the example that that strengthens our relationship uh, and the history that we've had with Catterton. We could have gotten the money from other places, but we we chose and they chose for us all to, you know, go even deeper together. And we're thrilled with that. Now our, you know, you were talking about entrepreneurs and sometimes they last five years and sometimes 10 years or they realize that, or others realize that, you know, it didn't happen overnight. The, and the scaling issue that you raised, right. I, I would I mean, just it's incredible say that, that you were able to scale. As yeah. And I can't take any credit for that because the best thing entrepreneurs can understand and realize is that they are entrepreneurs and most of them, including myself, are not CEOs. So I hired a CEO four and a half years ago, long before the first round of funding and certainly long before last year's funding. Uh, and his name's Kerry Tischler. And he was with a consulting company called McKinsey. And then he was also happened to be uh, at Catterton. That's a pure coincidence because he joined, you know, Just Food for Dogs long before Catterton joined Just Food for Dogs. And he is a brilliant young man that knows lots of things that I don't know. And I won't live long enough to become as smart as he already is. So, you know, I brought him on board and he has been absolutely fantastic and critical to the issues that you just wisely raised, which is how does a company scale the right way so that they don't lose their footing? And he's been instrumental in that. That's amazing. But I have seen a lot of companies try to offer fresh food for dogs. I think the secret to being successful or one of the secrets to being successful in offering whole food, fresh food that's frozen or people could pick it up you know, at a local kitchen is the ability to have the the employees, the staff, the people, power that are there educating consumers and also the ability to have the kitchens. 
Yeah, we think so too. So we think, you know, we think so too. We think that there's, you know, we know the business is today worth about $30 billion. That's dog and cat food only and only in the United States. Yeah, you said just food for cats. You also have food for cats. We are called just food for dogs, but we've got, we got so many requests for cat food, mostly from our existing customers that have dogs and cats. Right. That we some years ago started doing that and it's been a it's been a real success and cats i think are a tough that audience cats are a tough audience you know we were supposed to come out with three recipes we ended up coming out with one because all three were super healthy but two of them the cats just didn't like it right. <laughs> they're not they're not so easy to please but we've no. got two more coming out so okay. um it just takes longer to do that but i think there's also a really important point that you're raising with regard to you know competition we have competitors now, and this is really, really a good thing. So you've got in the last two, three years, something like that, Farmer's Dog, uh, Nom Nom Now, uh, one called Ollie, uh, one called Pet Plate. And these guys are coming around and they're making fresh whole food like we are. Uh, now they're doing it differently than we are. We believe that we have the right way to do this. But it, we need competition. We need competitors because the dogs and cats are going to be the winners here. You know, no one company is going to own the entire $30 billion worth of business. Right. It never happens that way, nor should it. Right. But, but one thing's for sure. In my lifetime, we're going to look back and say, remember when we used to feed our dogs those little brown pellets? Oh, my God, what were we thinking? Yeah. It's... And that's coming. And in order for that to come, you know, you don't have to play three-dimensional chess to figure out that there's got to be a bunch of companies doing different versions of what we do. Now, we have vets on our staff, and they tend not to. They tend to, you know, pay a vet who then will be their advisor or maybe doesn't right. even live in the same state, much less report to work every day. We've been published in peer-reviewed in three you know, seminal studies that have been executed by independent universities around the country, including University of Illinois, Western University Vet School, uh, Cal Poly Pomona, and others. So we're very science-based, evidence-based. We did feeding trials, none of them have. We right. have kitchens where you can go and visit and see your food being made. They don't, again, not picking on anybody. They're just different business models. And you have great customer service. We do. If you pick up the phone and you call, you're going to get a human, not a machine. <gasps> yeah, well, we lo- and we love hearing that. I mean, we, it's, it's, we have a really unique company and we're very, very fortunate because it's just chock full of people like yourself that, that love their dogs. Yeah. And it's, you know, uh, half chock full of people that are, you know, like me, fans of rescue and, you know, doing as much as we can for rescue and giving back in that regard. It's, we're a community, we're a movement, we're a belief system, if you will, to a certain degree. You know, we can also send your food to you at your home and on dry ice in a recyclable box, just like the other guys. I sometimes will go to Union Square. A lot of the time, it's so much easier to have it delivered yeah. uh, every three weeks, actually. I definitely feed them more than they should have. You know, well, don't do that. I know I shouldn't, but I do. I just feel bad. They literally come to me, you know, when they're hungry. If I'm home working and they're just like staring at me, whining at me. And I know I shouldn't be manipulated, but I am. I was just reading the other day a great, you know, an interesting statistic, you know, uh, and it was from Harvard does a, a, some regular pet uh, research. And the, the number of obese or uh, overweight adult humans is almost identical to that of dogs in the United States. So sometimes it's related to the human, sometimes it's not. But my point is that, you know, our dogs are overweight and there's really no reason that they should be because we make their decision for them. Yes. So don't feed my dog too much. Yeah, don't feed them too much because it makes a big difference, you know, in their in their health and their well-being. Unless they're skinny and they're underweight, yeah. uh, if that's, you know, unless that's the definition of looking like they're hungry, then they're not. Oh, no, just like just staring want, at me they and just whining. Want me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
They just want more food. Yeah. They're working you. So speaking of, you know, business and entrepreneurship and scaling a business, I mean, this is not your first company. You are a well-versed, seasoned entrepreneur and founder. What were the other companies that you built and sold? And when you start something, is it always based upon or inspired by a need in the market that you are personally seen? Or is there is there something else that inspires you? Yeah, historically... I have started businesses and remained a part of businesses where I rightly or wrongly have identified that there is a need for the business as opposed to something that I was personally passionate about, which is kind of interesting. I don't know. Maybe most entrepreneurs are starting businesses in a subject matter for which they are personally interested. Now, financially, these have worked out to varying degrees fairly well for me, but never before just food for dogs have I been involved in a company that I genuinely was personally passionate about. When I was very young, my friend and I had a small company that, you know, was like a bike, bicycle accessory company. I owned a minority uh, interest in that, and we sold it to another company that was also at the time very small, but I joined that company. Then it grew substantially. You know, I think, you know, there were about 12 of us in the beginning when I got there. And when I left, there were a couple hundred and that was, you know, about a five-year ride. And uh, I was interested in starting my own thing that I owned 100% of. And one of the, you know, in that bicycle company, I was responsible for the branding and the advertising and those kinds of things. And I was fascinated by and interested in the world of advertising agencies and PR agencies. And this was, you know, in the late 1980s. And um, so I started a advertising and PR agency that I ran and owned for, you know, 11 years and uh, sold it to another agency. Um, that was a, a fantastic ride. It was a lot of fun. It was very challenging, yeah. as you might imagine. I, I have some experience in PR agencies. <laughs> yeah, that was my yeah, first business. Yeah. I mean, I still do that, but it's, yeah. It's a different world. Yeah, it's we we handled, you know, we handled national accounts exclusively. We we did some things that were fun, you know, that date back to the 90s. Like, for example, much was made out of the final episode of the, the TV show Seinfeld. Right. And um, there was a million dollars to run, you know, a TV commercial, which we did. And we spent a million dollars creating a TV commercial that ran once and spent a million dollars running it you know, for the client, you know, and so we did a lot of these kinds of things. So, you know, it was, it was, it was challenging and a lot of fun and, you know, financially rewarding, but it's not like I had a history in that, you know, but it helped and, you um, for, did it help you for the, your business now? Yeah. And it helped me for the next business, which, you know, was the only business I ever purchased, which was a luxury baby goods manufacturer that was based in England the oldest manufacturer of baby strollers in the world. And it was very under leveraged in certain parts of the world, including North America. So, you know, when I bought that, I did so with the intent of rebranding it and launching it in the United States and other markets. And that was, again, very challenging, but rewarding. But I don't have kids and I don't have necessarily a passion around luxury baby goods. That said, I ended up selling it to the second largest toy company in England uh, who wanted to get into the baby goods business. And so it was financially you know, gratifying, if you will, but that's it. It was just a money thing. And then the last, but certainly not least, was just food for dogs, which was, you know. Just from listening to you describe your other businesses and this one, this sounds like it's like really authentically you. It is. I think you're 100% right about that. Those were businesses and, you know, everybody has to make a living right. and you want to feel successful and you want to be responsible for jobs and creating jobs and having a, a good culture and all of that. But that is not the same as, you know, a deep caring for, in this case, the ultimate benefactor. And I'm not just referring to 
you know, what Just Food for Dogs does for rescue and the, the, the money and the goods that we give away, I'm referring to just all dogs, you know, changing a, an industry. Right. You know, and that at least that's the objective. What are some of the things that you do to give back? I mean, I know that's a big part of the company with Just Food for Dogs. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, if I'm really, if I'm really just bluntly frank, you know, there, we've had lots of internal discussions around, you know, well, we should talk about how we give away 1% or something. I, you know, honestly, we've given away a lot more than that. Um, we don't put anything on packages. We don't necessarily advertise it. We don't hide it either. Um, but we work with rescues, you know, all over the country and we provide cash donations. We gave away hundreds of thousands of dollars last year. I don't know exactly, you know, how much we provide food and uh, other support for rescues. We're very rescue oriented and we limit it to, to dogs and cats. Um, we may do something more formal. You know, I'm on a, I'm on the board of a foundation that was created by, you know, one of my now business partners in Just Food for Dogs. And last year we purchased a piece of property in Laguna Beach, California, and we are currently building upon that property a world-class rescue from scratch. So it's not like a converted building. It's a purpose-built building. Um, it's about 9,000 square feet and it will be dedicated to dogs that are uh, seniors and handy and or handicapped. But it'll be a great experience, family experience where you, if you have children or even if you don't have children and you want to rescue a dog, you want to adopt a dog. If I had a bigger apartment, I would rescue thousands of dogs. I swear to God, I love them. Right. That's kind of like my, my business partner, you know, he and his wife have four dogs. Three of them are handicapped. This is essentially, we hired an architect that is building a beach house, but it's not a beach house. It just looks like a beach house. It looks like yeah. a beautiful beach house. Is that where but you live and your office is near Laguna Beach? Or? I live in Newport Beach. In Newport Beach. Um, yeah. And then, uh, and uh, sometimes, and then I also live in Scottsdale. So I kind of go back and forth depending on the weather. And It sounds amazing. I mean, it sounds really cool. It's called unconditional. Construction should be done in about 18 months. And uh, it's really a unique place because it's it's got the right combination of an architect that builds vet hospitals, an architect that builds upscale homes in Laguna Beach, and a veterinarian that's board certified in shelter medicine. So everything from the colors of the walls to the materials on the floor to the elevator that takes the dogs to the the clinic, you know, uh, to the rooftop deck where you can visit with your hopeful future, you know, fam four-legged family member, or in our case, a lot of three-legged family members. Right. Um, you know, uh, it, it's just a totally different experience, you know. That's really wonderful to be able to do that. I'll make sure you get an invite to the grand opening. It'll be For fun. sure. That would be amazing. And so what are some of the big lessons as someone who is a successful entrepreneur and founder building this incredible company that you're building, what are some of the big career lessons that you've learned along the way? Yeah, I would say for me, uh, the single biggest lesson is, you know, understand what you don't know and what you aren't. You know, I brought up Carrie Tischler earlier in this interview, the now CEO that I hired four years ago uh, to run just food for dogs. Most of us entrepreneurs are very good at starting companies. I think fewer of us, including me as an earlier version of myself, are willing to recognize that it's not a sprint and it's not a marathon. It's actually a relay race and we have to hand the baton off to somebody. And you know, you have to know when to hand off that baton. And by the way, there could come a time when that next person, you know, depending on size, scope, you know, lots of, you know, uh, international, et cetera, there, there, there could be a time when that next person has to understand when to hand off the baton. And too many of us entrepreneurs think that because we're really good at starting something, that <laughs> what is bestowed upon us is the ability to then run the thing that we started. It's not always the case. That's a wonderful lesson to learn. I hope people learn it early on. 
as an entrepreneur. I think I just started to learn that in the last few years about myself and about starting projects and building concepts and then letting them go and letting the other people that are good at taking it to the next level, take it to the next level. It's a tough lesson as an entrepreneur because sometimes like, you know, you're passionate about what you're doing and it's kind of hard to let go. But if you want it to grow, you need to bring in the team and step back. Yeah, there's, a, you know, in the old days, people used to accuse, especially top-notch board-certified like surgeons in, in human medicine, they would have this, you know, supposed God complex because they're so fantastic at what they did that they thought they were going to be fantastic at everything else. And, you know, in the last 20, 25 years, rightly or wrongly, deservedly or otherwise, entrepreneurs have gotten you know, a fair bit of uh, accolades, if you will, yes, uh, or recognition. And we have to make sure we don't do the same thing. We have to understand that we have a role to play and just right. that role. And it's enough. Yeah. You can look in the mirror and be proud of having done that. Yes. You don't have to have done everything else. Yeah, it's true. Very true. That's great advice. And speaking of advice and business, my most important question, which I saved for last, was health and exercise. And obviously, I'm sure somebody who is as busy as you also has some kind of health, exercise, wellness routine that you try to include into your life to kind of, you know, fuel you for success in all the other things that you do. I do. And, but it's not overly uh, unique. I belong to a very nice health club near my office in my home in Newport slash Irvine. And I also belong to one, you know, here in Paradise Valley, Scottsdale. And I do what so many other people do. I try to get to the gym and, and work out uh, several times a week so that I uh, am not overweight. I'm in decent shape. I don't smoke, drink, gamble, play golf watch sports or have kids. So the other thing I do is work a lot. Have you always been somebody who goes to the gym and tries to get your workouts in? Has there ever been, is that your sort of go-to exercise? It is, yeah. In fact, the one that uh, I belong to now, it's it's changed names a couple times over the past decades. It's now an Equinox. But when I joined it, it was a private club and I've been a member ever since. And I joined in 1991. Wow. So I'm I'm a uh, uh, whatever it's called, you know, original member of that of that club. That's that's so funny. How does it fuel you for success? Like, how does exercise kind of fit into the mix in your world? Well, I don't know technically what happens to the brain, but we all know the effects of it, and something happens that clears our mind. Whether it's the neurotransmissions and making you know unique connections or or you know, lack thereof, something happens, not just to the body, the muscles, the, the legs, the arms, the torso, but your brain when you work out. And I'm, like I say, I'm not an expert, but I know that it, it makes you think better. It always has made me think better. We all know ourselves and other people that get home at the end of the day and say, oh, I'm bummed I didn't work out today. But nobody has ever gotten home at the end of the day and said, wow, I'm really bummed I worked out today. Those words have never crossed anyone's lips. And the reason for it is because we just have this innate knowledge that it's good for us as a whole. I think I would have to agree with you on that. How do you find time to, to work out? Do you put it in your schedule? Do you, you know, do you just go to the gym like when you have like as an afterthought or is it like sort of a priority for you? How do you make the time to get to the gym? I don't put it in my schedule. And I'm really fortunate because you could almost walk there from my office in Irvine and from my home in Newport. It's also a short drive. So I'll literally if there if, if something gets canceled or changed in my day at the office, I'll pop across the street and, and do a quick workout. Otherwise, I can always find time in the evening. That's great. What's next for Just Food for Dogs? We're going to open close to 200, 150, 175 
more locations this year. And we're, you know, well on way with that. That's thanks to the Series C funding that you just raised last year. You're expanding. Yeah, the, uh, we, you know, we, the whole 68 million, you know, it's not like I bought a boat or anything. <laughs> the whole, the whole 68 million went to the balance sheet. So, right. uh, cause you know, there are nobody that there are quite a number of people now that own equity in just food for dogs. And I don't think anybody's looking to sell right now. So right. That all would the money not went to the balance sheet, which helps and fuels growth. Are you, would you ever franchise? Has that ever been like something or it's just not your business model at all? Like down the road, we've discussed it. We have discussed it, and there are some advantages to that. Right. Um, because our true mission is it, it's true. I know people say this, but in our case, it's not just a marketing line, it's absolutely true that the number one thing we do is that you know, we aim to do is make dogs live longer, healthier lives. And the second most important thing we do is make money. And like, number two is pretty important. You know, it's like on a list of 20 things, it's still number two, but it's number two. It's not number one. Right. And when you think about franchising, for example, you think about how many more dogs you can touch and how much quicker you can do that. Right. That's why the I problem, asked. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great question. But the problem with it is that it's a really difficult model to, to franchise because yeah. it seems simple, but the the, it's not. The, the, the complexity of making the food um, when you're doing it the way we do it is um, is actually significant. It's yeah. actually much easier to make it at home than it is the way we do it. Yeah. Right now, where all of our locations are, you know, owned and controlled by us, we've we've only really discussed any kind of a a deal where somebody took like a master, you know, in other countries. Yeah. We are helping Australia right now. We're not selling it. We're not doing it for money or anything. We're just helping them out. The largest chain of pet stores in Australia is called Pet Barn. It's like the Petco of, of, of Australia. And then they also own Green Cross, which is the largest chain of vet hospitals in Australia. And we're teaching them and showing them how to do what we do down there just for the benefit of the dogs. We're not even getting yeah. a penny out of it. That's and nice. we're letting them use our recipes. We just told them you can't call it just food for dogs, but it'll be the same recipes. That's great. Well, I yeah. wish you the best of luck, and I will continue to feed my dogs just food for dogs. It's really been a game changer for me personally because I was making their food, and it, I definitely felt like I was missing certain things that probably they needed, and I'm not an expert. So when my veterinarian told me about Just Food for Dogs. I ran over to Petco and got some food. So thank you for creating this company. Well, thank you. Thanks for thanks for the interview and also thanks for being a customer. Thank you so much, Sean. Well, thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, MarnieOnTheMove1 at gmail.com and let me know what you're enjoying what you want to hear more of. If you have questions for our guests, just reach out.